Welcome to the Debbie Debate. All right, boys, are we ready to debate? Bruning, are you ready to go head to head with me? I am. Gotta get my popcorn out here. Hold on, Alex. It's a bold strategy, Cotton. Let's see if it pays off for him. I'm Felix Sharp. I know you didn't think that we would get through this episode without mentioning the name one Zach F. Wilson. It is first and goal. Ball spotted just inside the 10. Algier in. Wilson faked it to him and keeps it. Zach Wilson, the speed, and he dives for the end zone. Touchdown. That's off the Nate. Gibbs, who is probably going to be the best pass catcher out of the three. Now. Down. He's going to get after it again. And look at the speed and the spark and the score from Gibbs. Just what Georgia Tech needed. That's Matt Bruning. G. Scott Jr. Obviously, I waxed poetic about him on the last episode, so I won't do that again here. And it's got his field on the carry. Watch out. Justin Fields. Hello, Columbus. 51 yards. Austin. You tweeted something, bro. You tweeted your running back ranking. Explain yourself. Boy, that escalated quickly. I mean, that really got out of hand fast. Ohio State fan talking there. Oh, shit. That is why you come to the Debbie debate. Apologies to Kirk Herbstreit. We ran out of time. We'll get him rescheduled soon. And for Matt Bruning and Austin Nace, I'm Felix Sharp. Good night and good luck. It's 9.30 Eastern Standard Time, otherwise known as the only time zone that matters. That means it's time for the Debbie Debate. That's Matt Bruning, that's Austin Nace, and I'm Felix Sharp on an underrated version of today's show. Do we owe Notre Dame an apology, the most explosive running back you've never heard of? And we ask, who is the best wide receiver for the Texas Longhorns? But we start with breaking news just today that BYU may take a replacement game for Coastal Carolina, who may lose the game with Liberty as a result of COVID-19. Gentlemen, what are our thoughts about BYU versus Coastal Carolina? Go ahead, Austin. Yeah, we were talking a little bit about it before the show. Um, it makes sense for for both of them, I guess. I mean, Coastal is never going to jump up high enough. BYU, I guess, could. Uh, but at this point, I think BYU is almost better off trying to pull a UCF from a couple years ago where they, you know, just barely miss out on the playoff and then they can kind of claim that they should have been there. They'll still get in New York Six Bowl, assuming that they win that, then they're golden. And I think that's going to be a better outcome for them. So this is a it's a good game to get them to that point. Um, I'm just hoping for their sake that they don't get pushed too high and get embarrassed. I think this is a good game uh, for fantasy purposes because there are more fantasy-relevant players, in my opinion, between Coastal Carolina and BYU than between Coastal Carolina and Liberty. Uh, Zach Wilson is not the only fantasy-relevant player, so we've also got both of the running backs for BYU, Tyler Algier and Lapini Katoa. BYU is good because teams cannot stop them from running the football, and that's really Tyler Algier's game. He's a 220 pound back who is moves faster than you would think he's a former linebacker he's their here's kind of their thunder and Lapini Katoa is the um the, the lightning the pass catcher and then on Coastal Carolina there are three players fantasy relevant players that I believe have um uh NFL futures starting with 
Uh, Isaiah Likely, the tight end, six foot four, 230, 40 pounds, something like that, has been a vertical threat for Coastal Carolina. And then you've got CJ Maribel, who is going to be, you know, a late day three type option. And Grayson McCall, who we I've written about for Dynasty Nerds, a mobile, athletic, redshirt freshman who can kind of throw the ball all around the field. He has been great vertically, um, very athletic player. And so, man, that is going to be a fun fun game if we do in fact get it and I I'm, of course I'm a Zach Wilson fan so I've been kind of waiting to see who BYU would take to kind of increase their um their their uh, uh, playoff chances um given the fact that they've had a weak schedule up into this point so um Matt any thoughts on BYU Coastal Carolina if we do get it just that I hope it happens. I would love to see uh, – I'd love, love to see that game happen. I, I don't know how much it would help BYU or Coastal Carolina if they won. I, I feel like we're all presuming BYU would win. I, I don't know who would win that game. I think it would be a good game. I don't know how much it would help either one of them possibly move up for the playoffs, but I do think if that game is played this weekend, whoever wins kind of moves himself into one of those New Year's Six games. So I, and I think that would be huge to have, you know, a say BYU or Coastal Carolina against Georgia would be, or someone else like that would be a phenomenal game to watch. So outside of hoping it happens, that, that's about all I've got. It seems like it's a New Year's Six playoff between those two uh, to see yeah. who gets in. All right, guys, um, week 12 of the college football season and Jared Patterson going ham, 36 attempts, 409 yards, 11.4 yards a carry, eight touchdowns. Austin, where should Jared Patterson be ranked amongst 2021 running backs and what is his NFL ceiling? He, he really should have been on radars coming into this year. I think he was. I mean, I heard his name a bunch um, through the offseason uh, as a guy that could kind of make that next step into, you know, probably not a first tier type uh, prospect, maybe that second tier. His stats last year were also great. I mean, he ran, he had uh, 312 carries for about 1,800 yards and 19 touchdowns at about uh, six yards a clip. So that, I mean, he did great last year, and this year he's topping it. Uh, right now he's averaging about 8.6 yards a carry. He's already got 16 touchdowns in four games, and we obviously know this past weekend against Kent State, who aren't exactly a juggernaut, but he still put up, uh, I mean, anytime you put up 409 yards and eight touchdowns <laughs> in a division one football game, like just give this, you know, a round of applause, a pat on the back. I mean, great. Where, where I, where I struggle a bit with him is that he, he just doesn't really have any traits to hang his hat on at the next level. In my opinion, he does have a really natural feel for that running back position. Um, but there are oddly a lot of guys in this year's class that I think do. Um, last year's class was kind of the opposite. We had a lot of guys that had the traits, but not a lot of like that, that natural, just running back, um, kind of, uh, knowledge. Um, so he does have that, but he's not a great athlete and he's really not a great pass catcher, at least within Buffalo's offense. We haven't seen him do a ton of it. So I'm hesitant to bump him up too much. I had him RB 10 preseason. I have him like RB eight or RB nine now. Someone on Twitter the other day, I think it was Cody from over at Debbie uh, Dispensary, uh, comped him to Devin Singletary. I don't think stylistically maybe that that is quite the comp I'd make, but I think from like a value level in terms in your dynasty drafts next year, I think that could very well be be where he's at. So I'm I am interested to see how he finishes out the season and how he does if he declares this year through all the combine and uh, and that kind of process. 
Jared Patterson was playing the NCAA video game on rookie mode. He was running through gaping holes. I think the real question is, is who the hell is on that Buffalo offensive line? Because this is two seasons in a row where Jared Patterson is putting up rookie mode difficulty numbers. I like Jared Patterson. I don't love Jared Patterson. We talked about him on the, the, the show before last. And this game didn't really change my evaluation of him and it shouldn't change anyone's evaluation of him because he's been doing this. And the other thing is, is, is think about who the, the, some of the record holders are for rushing AJ Dillon, Andre Williams, Rashad Penny, Donnell Pumphrey, Ron Dane, Jonathan Taylor, Kevin Smith, a former line, you know, who didn't set any rushing records in college, Alvin Kamara, Antonio Gibson, Chris Carson, Miles Sanders, DeAndre Swift, Josh Jacobs, they didn't, they didn't set any rushing records. So, you know, production, I don't know that production is really what we're looking at specifically at the running back position. We want to see those traits first. And if you have the production on top of it, that's great. Um, and so I like Jared Patterson. I don't love him. Uh, Bruning, we had another hardcore bang uh, running back performance in, Javar, in Jamar Jefferson, 29 attempts, 226 yards, 7.8 yards per carry, two TDs, and that upset win over Oregon. Same question about Jamar Jefferson. What is his NFL ceiling, and where would you rank him amongst 2021 running backs? Well, I guess as as I've been called out on Twitter, I, I feel like I'm, I'm I have a propensity for hot takes. So maybe this is going to be a little hot takey here. Uh, I I currently have him at four. I, I just uh, I've got him. I, I moved Javante down. I won't say where, but I, I, he's not one for me anymore after after that performance <laughs> against Notre Dame. But short uh, short lived. I, I, it was it was. I still love you though, Javante. If you're watching, still a big fan. Uh, you know behind. I've got him behind him, Najee, and in ETN, though. I think he has the ceiling to be a workhorse at the NFL level. He's got the size. You know, the biggest thing, a lot of people, I think, forgot about him after that amazing freshman season he had where he had like a 30% dominator rating, the breakout age at 18. He was by far the best weapon on Oregon State, uh, was setting all kinds of records, and then came in last year, got that high ankle injury, uh, was out, I think, believe it was three games, comes back, and has to end up splitting time with Artavius Pierce, who ends up getting going into the NFL. And coming into this year, there wasn't really many people talking about Jamar Jefferson. I, I was one. I, I still love the kid coming out of uh, what he did his freshman year. And, I mean, right now, again, he's only played in – I was trying to look at it – four games – Already has, I mean, ridiculous amounts of rushing yards. I'm trying to look through 675 rushing yards in just four games. He, he's got 21 avoided tackles, 406 of those coming after contact, which I think is huge just de dealing with how uh, how his body size is. He's got a breakaway percentage of 52.4. He's got 10 runs over 15 yards for 354 yards. And that was the biggest question coming into this year was, does he have that home run speed? Well, if you watch the Oregon game, if you've watched any of the games, he doesn't have, he's not getting caught from behind anymore. He's got that speed where he may not be the fast. He's not going to, be anywhere close in a race with Travis Etienne, but he can beat you to the end zone. And I think with his week as I think it's fair to say this class is out of maybe those top three guys. I think a guy like Jamar Jefferson, who could end up going round three or four and ended up on an NFL team. He's got the receiving ability. He's got the body size. He's got the vision, lateral speed. Uh, he can take contact. He's not afraid to, to run a defender over and he's got that speed. I think he's a steal in rookie drafts coming up this year uh, where I think he could seriously be an NFL back with a lot of upside. 
Well, let's keep the running back party going. Zach Evans, the number two uh, overall running back in this class, uh, 12 attempts, 100 yards against the lowly, lowly Kansas Jayhawks. I don't know if there's a worse team in a, 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 a power five team than Kansas. Um, you know, he looked fine. He looked good. It was his best t- game to date. Zach Evans, as many people in the Devi community know, had the kind of tumultuous uh, recruiting process and signed with TCU late. But he is TCU's first five-star uh, signee in their history. And so, you know, he looked good. I think in 2021, um, Zach Evans might be the focal point of that offense. He hasn't been this year. And I don't know that we can take away a lot from whatever you do against against Kansas. I mean, that's a bad a bad football team, but you do want to see, I mean, 12, uh, 12 attempts, 100 yards. If, if you're the number two overall back, that's probably what you should be doing. And so looking forward to perhaps, you know, taking the mantle from LaDainian Tomlinson there at TCU. I don't know. I don't know about that, but, um, but I am looking forward to his 2021 season where he'll get a full off season and can put on some weight. He's listed at 5'10", 195 pounds. Uh, you know, I, I kind of want to see him up closer to 215. And if he's at 195 as a freshman, I don't think he'll have any problem getting to 215 and can show some of that same burst in elusiveness. So Zach Evans, welcome to the 2023 RB party. It's going to be a recurring theme on this show. Get 2023 picks. We've talked about a lot of 2023 prospects. And Zach Evans is is another one that we haven't talked about at all on this show. Um, but he is another player that a lot of people are excited about and showed a little bit of the re- few of the reasons why um, this past uh, uh, this past week. All right, gentlemen, we want to do speaking of players that we have not talked about, um, we're going to do a segment called the Diamond in the Rough. I don't know if that picked up or not on the microphone. Oh, okay. it did. Oh, it did. <laughs> okay. Great. All right. Great little well, Aladdin the, callback right there. Aladdin, Aladdin. The diamonds in the rough. Uh, Bruning, we want to talk. Well, we'll start with you first. Who are some players that you're interested in that aren't being highlighted um, that you want to take a moment, a few moments to talk about uh, today? Well, I will talk about two gentlemen that I think are kind of intertwined here. One of them is a guy that you have mentioned many a times on here, and I did a little thread on him the other day, and that's the Nevada quarterback, Carson Strong. Now, if you if you follow the thread, I kind of highlighted what I think he does well. He's been phenomenal this year, mostly in deep passing. He's been absolutely phenomenal in deep passing, actually. Uh, God, I should have had this more ready. I'm like trying to run through four different things here in Kanta. Uh, so I think his arm strength, velocity, deep ball placement, and his mechanics are actually very uh, sound. I like the way that uh, – I mean, he's got absolute zip. Fires an absolute fastball. If you go through that thread that I posted, he's got one that I – the cameraman couldn't even keep up with the balls. He was throwing it to his tight end. It's ridiculous. One of the best deep passers in here as well. I know Zach Wilson, Mac Jones uh, get a lot of talk, but he's sitting up there as a top six guy right now in deep passing. I wonder if maybe we're not talking about him because he's over there in the Mountain West. Again, I know you have uh, – you mentioned someone else has been talking about him as well here recently. I'll be interested to see if he comes out this year. He can come out in this draft. I think he should go back to school, come out in that 2022 class. But a player who I think is benefiting from him is his wide receiver, Romeo Dubs. He's a junior as well, 6'2", 200 pounds, reportedly runs a 4'4", 40, which uh, you can see when he is running down the field and – 
Strong is throwing it deep to him right now. Just in 20-yard passes, he has got 511 of his uh, – where did it go? Golly, I'm, I'm severely ill-prepared for this show. 794 receiving yards total. 511 of them have come on deep passes over 20 yards and seven of his nine touchdowns. Uh, he's got great hands. He's very physical. He's got a 37% market share right now of the receiving yards for Nevada. So he's a guy, same thing as strong. I think he's not getting mentioned enough. Do think he needs to go back to school, especially with, I think all of us agree, the wide receiver class next year, 2022, is a lot weaker than what we're expecting in 20. 2021 if he can go back next year i could see him jumping the stock up to being like a possible second or third round pick in, in next year's draft and being a guy that a, a lot of nfl teams might like carson strong was a player that i had been tweeting about because when you look at the bottom of the barrel in c2c leagues and and startup drafts this offseason and you sort by class he was one of the top performing sophomores last year and then you look at the skill position players that he has around him we mentioned Romeo Dubs but he wasn't supposed to be the leading receiver this year that was actually supposed to go to Elijah Cooks who was their re leading receiver last year uh, who was suspended at the beginning of se the season and then injured and then injured a second time and then has, has been out for the season but Nevada has some really good skill position players Cooks Dubs and not and and Toa Tawa uh, the highest ranked uh, recruit in that program's history the running back who's thick, solid player who can also catch the ball, who can also catch the ball. They're all really talented players, and I think that they all have um, uh, NFL futures. And, and watching Strong last year, he looked like a game manager to me despite uh, his, his uh, counting stats. He has really transformed his game. Yes, he's still a pocket passer, but he's shown a little bit more mobility. He's been more aggressive. And he's been um, – I saw someone talk about him being a potential first-round uh, quarterback, and that's a big deal coming from a group of five schools. So um, Carson Strong, he was someone that you could get at the end of your C2C drafts in the 44th round or something like that. And so it's good to see um, a, a group of five players getting some love. And if you have C2Cs, they, these players might still be on waivers. Um, so go ahead and pick them up. Austin – who are your diamonds in the rough? So I just much like Jared Patterson was kind of a guy that probably should have been on radars coming into the year. I think uh, Kate Otten, the tight end from Washington, is another guy that that you probably should have been uh, at least aware of. He was obviously behind Hunter Bryant last year, who had a big season, had a big couple of seasons there. Uh, just a super athletic tight end prospect. Uh, who kind of, I guess, surprised. I don't know if there were some medical issues there or what, but I don't think he got drafted this year, right? And now he's with the, the Lions or something like that, or he went really, really late. Um, he's with but, the Lions. Okay, yeah. yeah. Um, so, I mean, yeah, not not doing great there. Um, but Otten, Otten was just the guy that was going to come in right away. I mean, even with Hunter Bryant there last year, uh, most college tight or, uh, offenses can't really support two tight ends at all. Um, but he had 32 catches, 344 yards, and two touchdowns last year with Bryant there. So he already put up, you know, a really nice college tight end stat line. And with Brian gone this year, he's really kind of taken that next jump. Like we kind of like to see from college kids where, you know, the spot opens up, they move up into that spot and, sh and show what they can do. He has 16 catches, 212 yards, three touchdowns, and only three games this year. And the thing that I like about him, well, besides, I mean, he's got NFL size. He's 6'5", 240. Um, he's looks like a really smooth athlete. 
I'm interested to see how he tests. I mean, he's never going to be like a freak like Vernon Davis type tester at the combine, but I I think he'll be you know better than average for for that position. And he just shows a just a really nice uh, like he can run a, a pretty wide variety of routes for a tight end. Um, he can threaten all three levels. They hit him short, the intermediate, long, uh, sideline stuff. He can work the middle of the field. So I just really like his versatility as a whole. I have him like after the three, I mean, he's, t- he's 2021 eligible. I'm not sure if he'll actually come out this year or not. Uh, but he's going to definitely be, definitely be behind, you know, Brevin Jordan, uh, Kyle Pitts, Pat Fryermuth. And then I think it's kind of between like, I'm, after that, I'm looking for just like athletic upside and hoping that, you know, someone can develop into something. I think him and like Kenny Yaboa are probably the two best candidates that are going to do that. So I have him tight end five right now. Uh, really interested to see how he finishes out the year and uh, if he ends up declaring or not. The other guy that I like this year is another guy graduated ahead of him. He was next in line, stepped into the spot, is uh, Jonathan Adams Jr. from uh, Arkansas State. And last year, Arkansas State was pretty much the Omar Bayless and Kirk Merritt show. Uh, Omar Bayless had like 1,700 receiving yards. He did a, he, the bulk of their damage through the air. He graduated. I think he's with the Panthers now. Um, and all offseason, Adams was a target for me in C2Cs, uh, but mostly just as a guy that was going to score a lot of points for me on the college side of things. And then all my college seasons got canceled. So I was kind of like, well, I'm stuck with this guy on all these rosters who's never going to do anything. He's actually shown pretty well this year. Uh, for a bigger guy, uh, he's he's a little bit more fluid of an athlete than I thought he'd be. I think he's pretty similar to um, Antonio Gandy-Golden, who came out last year in terms of what his role in the NFL can be. Uh, you know, big red zone target to start off, could possibly develop into something a little bit later. But the guy can make you – know, he's got great hands. He he'll If you throw the ball anywhere near him, doesn't matter if someone's hanging all over him, he'll make the catch. So those are two guys. I think, I mean, I wouldn't take him before like the mid late third round in a dynasty draft, especially with how deep this year's wide receiver class is. But, um, but, but yeah, I mean, I, I, I like him a lot. I, I, I want to see him uh, through the combine and everything as well and see how he tests. I'm going to start with another wide receiver um, here. And uh, that is North Texas wide receiver, Jalen Darden. He's been one of the most productive receivers in the country. We talked last week or two weeks about uh, Elijah Moore putting up video game stats. Well, Jalen Darden had 13 for 244 against Charlotte. I know it's Charlotte. I don't know. He's Charlotte, excuse me, Charlotte um, in week four. He had eight for 143 against Texas San Antonio just uh, this past week and a 13 for 104 um, game uh, in week three of the season. He's been really productive. He's a small receiver, 5'9", 174, who has a lot of burst and run after the catch ability and can legitimately play um, both inside and outside. Uh, I would really like to see him at the Senior Bowl. I don't know if it's going to happen. Jim Nagy has mentioned him, but I haven't seen him accepted invitation this is where we miss the east west shrine game uh, not being played this year because jalen darden would definitely have played in the east west shrine game and that's where players where you see players like james robinson and travis fulgham where they shine uh in in the chase edmonds east west shrine game alone um and we're not going to see it, but I, you watch his tape, and he is explosive. He has some of that short area burst that you would kind of expect for a productive 5'9", 174-pound receiver. And the NFL is kind of leaning on those players who can create separation, and Jalen Darden can. 
let's wait and see if he um, if he gets an invite uh, to the to the Senior Bowl. I really hope he does. Now, the next player that I'm talking that I want to talk about, I'm really excited because I just learned about him uh, this past week and through this past weekend's games. And if if anyone has talked about this player on a podcast. Bring it to me. There's no way that there's no no one has touted this particular player anywhere at all. I look for articles on him, can't find anything on him, and that is South Florida running back Brian Bate. I saw him return a kickoff, and I'm like, whoa, that guy looks like he's the best athlete on the field. Tiny player, five seven, five eight, 170 pounds, something like that. True freshman, but. Um, he has uh he's he was very pr- productive to end the season 10 carries 13 carries and 15 carries uh for 100 yards for 102 yards averaging 6.8 per attempt in his uh last game south florida's season is actually over so we're going to have to wait until next season we see johnny ford just transferred um from south florida i, I kid you not I, I think that he this guy might be the fastest running back in the country. He is tiny, but he is explosive. He reminds you of Philip Lindsay, but faster. Uh, that's that's what I what I've seen in the in the carries from this guy. He is a rocket. Um, I believe his nick his nickname was the Bullet. The Bullet. They called him the Bullet in high school, and he was a true freshman. Average seven point two for this for the season. Forty six carries, three hundred. And uh, 32 yards also added four catches for 35 yards. But again, wasn't used early uh, in the season. Now, with these smaller players coming from a school like South Florida, they have to have an elite trait to have any sort of NFL potential. And he has it. He has the elite trait. He has the speed and he has the burst. And so, yes, he can be a Tariq Cohen type player who ends up uh, uh, getting drafted by the team uh, by a team on day three. He's only a freshman. He's going to play four years, but watch out for Brian Bate in 2021. All right, guys, let's play a game of fair or foul. I'm going to give you a few questions or statements, and you tell me whether that statement is fair or foul. We'll start here. Devonta Smith. Devonta Smith deserves to be the first wide receiver taken. Bruning, is that fair or foul? He's muted. He doesn't know he's Did muted. I, you're muted? He's muted, Bruning? My bad. My <laughs> bad. Foul. No, he should not. I, I get that he's playing with one of the best quarterbacks in the nation and Mac Jones behind one of the best offensive lines or where he has time all day to throw the ball to Devonta Smith. And as Felix has mentioned multiple times, playing against SEC defenses that are not quite what they used to be. No, I just I, I don't think so. I still would not take him over Jamar Chase, who I think is a much better prospect. I wouldn't take him over Rondell Moore, who I think is a better prospect. And I know this is the one that's going to cause the most controversy. I would not take him over Rashad Bateman, who I think is going to be a better prospect. I like Devonta Smith. I, I know. I knew that one was going to get you. Uh, I, I like Devonta Smith. I think he's a good player. Uh, would I be surprised if he's the first NFL wide receiver taken? No, because the retarded Raiders took Henry Ruggs first. So I would not be surprised if it happened, but no foul. He should not be the first wide receiver taken in the NFL draft. So here comes the lawyer in me because the way this question was phrased is Devonta Smith deserve to be the first wide receiver taken. And I think the answer when you take into account the word deserve is yes. 
Now, whether, again, I agree with you, Matt, whether he is or not uh, remains to be seen. But I think he definitely deserves to be the first wide receiver taken because over the past two years, he's been the leading receiver on a team that has featured three other guys that are going to, well, either are or will be first round NFL draft picks. And he's significantly outproduced them all, which is pretty incredible when you think about it. He's done it with two different quarterbacks, um, with a bunch of different talent moving around around him. And he's just kept on producing. I mean, last year he put up 68 catches, uh, 1,256 yards, 14 touchdowns at about 18 and a half yards uh, per reception. And this year he's outpacing that. He's been a little less explosive in terms of longer plays, but he has more catches. He's on pace to have more yardage and on pace to have more touchdowns. So he's taken on a little more of that alpha dog role, even though he really was the alpha last year and he's continued to produce. For people that say that his size is the big issue, I went through, I mean, he's 6'1", 175. I went through a bunch of other guys that I think I would really like to have on my dynasty teams. Guys like Deontay Johnson, who's 5'10", 183. Hollywood Brown, obviously had not produced this year, but as we've seen all those clips that people keep posting over on Twitter, he's open. Lamar just ain't getting him the ball. 5'9", 181. Brandon Cooks, 5'10", 185. John Brown, 5'11", 178. Stephon Diggs, six foot one ninety one. The modern NFL allows for receivers, I think, more than ever in all kinds of shapes and sizes, and that's why I think whether he will be that guy or not, I think he certainly deserves a shot to be that guy. Well, Austin, you're going to bring out the lawyer in me now, okay? So I, I hear you talking about all these counting stats, but players that go in the first round are the first player taken out of position. They have elite traits. And Devonta Smith, as good as he is, and I like that type of receiver, the route runner who doesn't have elite traits, he doesn't have an elite trait. So when you got players like uh, uh, Jalen Waddell and Rondell Moore, and I like Terrence Marshall who has elite traits, I don't think that uh, Devonta Smith deserves to be the first wide receiver taken because he doesn't have one. He doesn't have. He's going to be a very good player for some team. And you know what's great about Devonta Smith is he's probably going to go, you know, in the middle or late first round, which means he's going to go probably to a team with an established starter at quarterback and a better offense than he would have, you know, than than uh, if he were drafted higher. So no, he doesn't deserve to be the first wide receiver taken, but he's the type of player that I think is going to hit the ground and be more NFL ready than, than folks think given his, you know, body size and his lack of BMI because he is that route runner type, but no, heck no, he does not deserve to be the first wide receiver taken. Let's keep talking about wide receivers. Gentlemen is Brennan. Well, I guess I'm going to start with this. Brennan Eagles is the best wide receiver uh, at Texas and has the highest ceiling. Brennan Eagles had a really great game. Uh, this past week, um, over 120 yards. I think I can't remember exactly how many he had, but man, remember the time when all the receivers were six foot two, six foot three, or by, and they would, you know, play that above the rim game. We don't see that anymore. I mean, it's like ancient history, and that's the type of player that Brennan Eagles has. That's the type of player that Brennan Eagles uh, is. Is he the best wide receiver on Texas? I don't know. You got Jake Smith, the high school player of the year you got uh jordan whittington um uh, who's kind of like running back wide receiver tweener types got that thick build and then you got brennan eagles who can play above the rim i think that is 
fair. I would say that that's fair because Jake Smith might be a slot only, and we haven't seen enough from Jordan uh, Jordan Whittington. Um, and so I will say yes. Brennan Eagles is the best Texas wide receiver and has the NFL ceiling. That's fair, Bruning. Fair or foul. Brennan Eagles is the best Texas wide receiver. Foul. I'm going Jake Smith. I really don't have much to add to that because, as I told you guys pre-show, I hate everything UT, but I like Jake Smith as a prospect. I think he could be good in the NFL, regardless if he's just going to be a slot wide receiver or not. Uh, I, I would take Jake Smith as the highest ceiling. All right. Let's move on. There's been a lot of yapping. I've, I have bet against Notre Dame twice uh, on this show. Um, for them to be upset by Boston College and Clemson didn't turn out that way. But does is fair or foul? The country owes Notre Dame an apology for for doubting them. And I want to say uh, that's uh, foul. We do not owe Notre Dame an apology. People have doubted Clemson last year because they're uh, in the ACC and haven't played anybody. Well, Notre Dame has only played Clemson without its starting quarterback, the number one overall pick, and it played North Carolina, which is – it's still North Carolina, no matter if they're – you know, if it's a team on the rise. It's still North Carolina, so heck no. Notre Dame does – we do not owe Notre Dame an apology. I do owe Kyron Williams an apology for two reasons. One is that little dude is a tough pass blocker. Um, you see linebackers shooting the gap, and he just stymies them. And for a freshman, that is really, really impressive to watch and I don't even like the pass blocking is not something that I pay attention to. But when you see him do it time and time again, and when North Carolina is trying to get pressure on Ian Book and they can't because this little kid is is stymieing their running backs, it's just really impressive to look, to, to watch. And, you know, I feel bad earlier this season uh, during one of my first claim weeks, I had the option between Kyron Williams and U Ulysses Bentley at SMU, and I chose – Ulysses Bentley. Um, I still like Ulysses Bentley, but man, Kyron Williams is getting all this pub, and you know we're going to see him on national television all the time, so his value is skyrocketing. So I should have taken uh, Kyron Williams and put all those chips into that basket. Bruning, fair or foul? Does the country owe Notre Dame an apology? I mean, I'm going to say fair. Maybe maybe the country doesn't, but I do. I feel bad. I've been shitting on Notre Dame for years. And part of that comes from, I think, they I think they always seem to come up short in the big games. I mean, let's go back to the national championship game where they got blown out by Alabama. Even the past couple of years, they have that big win, and then they just get absolutely decimated by someone they should not have. They should have run out of the, the park. I, I'm with you on Kyron Williams. Uh, he's a guy I mentioned after week one having the big game, got called out by my same friend about that because I was talking up Chris Tyree because I thought he was going to be be a bigger role, have a bigger role in this offense than he has. But Kyron Williams has been phenomenal. Uh, you know, they've proven it week in and week out, and especially with that defense. I, I think we need to stop doubting Notre Dame. And I think, obviously, they've got one game against Syracuse this week, assuming they don't mess that up, because I'm still going to assume there's a chance that they might. Assuming that they don't mess that up, uh, it's going to be phenomenal to watch that rematch with Clemson. So I'm going to say fair. If maybe not the nation, at least I owe them an apology. I, I find that Notre Dame offense kind of fascinating. Uh, I don't really have an opinion one way or the other on the question. I just have one is it because of things Ian, I wanted to throw in here? Is it because of Ian oh, Manzo? Don't get me. No, no, no. <laughs> get Ian Book out of here. Um, <laughs> so I, I wrote on Kyron Williams and um, 
Michael Mayer, or sorry, on Chris Tyree and Michael Mayer in the preseason for Dynasty Nerds, just kind of covering, you know, them as prospects coming out and what I thought they were going to do in that Notre Dame offense. And um, I, I said in, I think in the Michael Mayer article, it might have been the Tyree article, but either way, that Notre Dame for years has been a trenches team, which doesn't win you anything in college football anymore. The teams that consistently compete have all that athletic ability at the skill positions. And Notre Dame has like a guy here or there, but they, they don't really have it consistently all across the board. I do think this year is the first year that they have like some of those weapons that they can like really push teams with. Uh, so I am interested to see how far they can go. I mean, I still think they're going to lose to Clemson here in a couple weeks, but the, the evolution of that program and kind of their understanding of where they needed to get better ha has definitely served them well this year. And Kyron Williams was a wide receiver coming out of high school, which I find even more remarkable of how good of a pass, uh, pass blocker he is. Yeah. Speaking of, of the skill positions for Notre Dame, are Kyron Williams and Michael Mayer the only fantasy-relevant players there at Notre Dame? We got Javon McKinley as the leading receiver there. We got Tommy Trimble. Are we interested in any, any of those guys? Yeah, I think yeah. Trimble's going to be a good blocking tight end in the NFL. I don't think he has the juice to do anything else. Um, Kevin Austin was a guy I was really excited for, but he just can't like ever seem to get on the field, whether it's like disciplinary issues or injury, I think he had the foot injury this year. So I really want to see him play, but for now, yeah, I think just Williams and Mayer. Don't get me started on book. Yeah, I'm with you. Kevin Austin's a guy I'd love to see get on the field. He's, he's a guy I was excited to watch this year. And unfortunately that doesn't look like that's going to happen. And Jordan Johnson, the freshman, he was highly rated oh, too. Yeah. I kind of like him. All right. Fair or foul. Austin, we'll start with you. The 2022 running back class is better than the 2021 class. Fair or foul? Yeah, so it's probably fair. Um, I think at this point, if you're saying anything else, that you're probably trying to, to lie to yourself. But I think there are a couple caveats in there. I, I do like the 2022 class a lot, but I think we're still banking on a lot of those guys after the top like three or four, like making that next jump. They really haven't yet. Like we have um, – Brees Hall is probably clearly the number one at this point. And then you have some order of Isaiah Spiller at Texas A&M, Eric Gray at Tennessee, and then Kyron Williams at Notre Dame. And then after that, like you see a lot of Jerry and Ely on rankings who flashes, but hasn't like broken out a whole lot. You have John Emery at LSU, who was another five-star guy who we haven't really seen him outside of that committee where he's not even getting like the bulk of the touches in that offense. And if you really compare it to the 21 class, like I like, I have ETN number one, and then I have Najee number two. I'd probably put Hall above both of those guys, but then I'd put both of them above, you know, those next three 2022 guys. So I do think it, it could very well fall into that same, you know, it top heavy and then just falls off a cliff. So I think it like maybe one or two guys deeper, but it doesn't seem like it's like last year's class for me. Uh, I'm man, I was going to go fair, but now I kind of think I'm going to go foul. Um, uh, I agree with the Brees Hall thing. I, I mean, we all know I love Brees Hall. Uh, my, my reaction to, to the very first episode or second episode, whatever it was caused a lot of, uh, fun on, on the internet with that. Uh, I, I would have Brees Hall right up there, but for me, Brees Hall, Kyron Williams, obviously I, I'm with you. He's up there. Isaiah Spiller's been phenomenal. Eric Gray. Um, I'm still a big fan of, of Raymond Davis, but I think Raymond and Kenneth Walker, who's another guy I really like in that 2022 class, are probably right below those guys. Outside of that, nobody else really interests me. I mean, you got people talk about Tyler Goodson, maybe. Zach Charbonnet, get out of here. George Halani, want nothing to do with him. <laughs> Zonovan Knight, no. John Emery Jr., no. Now, Sincere McCormick, I do like. I replied yeah. to his little thing on, on uh, Twitter the other day because I agree with you. 
But going into this this class this year, I mean, I realistically think Najee Harris, Travis Etienne, Javante Williams, Jamar Jefferson, and possibly even Kenneth Gainwell all have high-end RB2 to possible low-end RB1 upside in the NFL. Those are five guys right there that I really like. Kenneth Gainwell is the one that I'm a little bit unsure on, but I would say he's fairly close to that. That Outside of Brees Hall, and I'm going to be honest, Isaiah Spiller, because that kid's been phenomenal. Outside of those two, I'm not like – you could say what you just said about Jerry and er- Jerry on Ely. The same thing about Eric Gray. He hasn't really done much. He's flashed on a couple good runs. I love the kid. I think he's going to be a good prospect, but he hasn't shown much. You know, I love Raymond Davis. I need to see what he does next year. He he has obviously sat out this entire year. Kenneth Walker, I think, is a guy we're all overlooking at Wake Forest, who's been absolutely phenomenal outside of the one game against Clemson. So for me, I would say it's it's a foul. I would take this RB class for 2021, which is not something I expected to say when coming into the beginning part of this season. Uh, Isaiah Spiller is one player that I really want to highlight because um, I took a look at his 2019 film, and I was just like, oh, okay. But he's really looked good. Um, this season, even for a, a back that you know m- might be a two-down back, um, he's he's really looked good, and I'm really interested in him next season. Next question, Bruning, we'll start with you. Fair or foul? Kyle Pitts is the best pass catcher in the 2021 NFL class. Yes, without a question. And I'm talking about not just tight ends; I'm talking about wide receivers as well. Like he's phenomenal. He's he's the best wide receiver in this class playing the tight end position. So when I, the, the other question, or I was going to state this earlier, but I decided to save it for this. Uh, the other reason why I don't believe Devonta Smith deserves to be the number one wide receiver taken is I think Kyle Pitts <laughs> deserves to be the number one wide receiver taken. I, I, I Pitts is phenomenal. And so I just want to give you guys a rundown of this really quick. Cause I, I was looking at it going through some of the top tight ends we've seen come out the past couple years, Harrison Bryant. And this is just so my, the receiving grade is based on everything they do catching the ball, yards after catch, receiving yards, blocking everything. Harrison Bryant, a 92.9 receiving grade coming out of college. TJ Hawkinson, 90.8. Noah Fayette, 80.6. Mark Andrews, 81.4. Mike Gesicki, 87.1. Evan Ingram, 80.5. Then the next best two, Hunter Henry at 91.6 and George Kittle at 91.6. Do you guys want to take a guess at what Kyle Pitts is sitting at right now? Minus, mind you. Fuck, you looked at you, asshole. <laughs> yeah, it it's 96, yeah. I mean, he's he's been phenomenal, and that's what missing games, too, which it, it hurts some of those stats as well because he, he doesn't get those extra yards and everything in there. So um, I, mean, I would honestly say outside, if you're in a standard draft, I mean, I'd probably still take Chase over him and then some of the running backs. I think it's fair to say I would take him at, as the number five pick, it is Sean McVay talking. What's up, baby? You spelled my name wrong, though. It's V-A-Y, not V-E-Y. Um, anyways, uh, I would, I'd be fine taking him at five in a standard draft. Like I, I think Kyle Pitts is going to be phenomenal. He's going to be a top tight end. He's going to be a tight end five coming into it, and then moving forward, I think he has a chance to be tight end one for 10 years. Assuming he doesn't end up on, like, I'm trying to think about Baltimore. My, my my problem isn't with Kyle Pitts. It's with wide or excuse me, tight ends who are taken highly in the draft. They just don't. That position is really dependent on the offense around you, and so that's why we see fourth and fifth round picks that play well. But you go through the history of first round tight ends or top fifteen tight tight ends, it just isn't good. And unless a tight end is going to get me eleven hundred yards and ten touchdowns, I. 
then uh, well, I mean, there, there are lots of guys that can fill that position. Um, so am I going to feel great about, you know, Kyle Pitts playing with Carolina and Teddy Bridgewater? I don't, I don't, I don't think so. I mean, I, is he going to get a, again, 1100 yards and 10 touchdowns? I just don't know. And we're talking about one of the deepest wide receiver classes um, it, uh, uh, in history. And so you could have somebody that's really excited about getting Kyle Pitts and you can trade down, pick up another second round pick and pick up another wide receiver that could help you that actually can get, you know, 1100 yards and five or six touchdowns. And I just, it's as great as Kyle Pitts is. I think we have to go back to like Jeremy Shockey for the last time a first round tight end um, was, and I'm pretty sure that Jeremy Shockey was taken in the first round. The last time a first round tight end, you know, met that um, uh, uh, that standard fantasy wise. So, just want to I just want to make sure is this thing on? Can you guys hear me? As of <laughs> as of nine eighteen Central Time, because that's the only time that matters. I want I want to make sure this is in recording and in history. Kyle Pitts rookie season, he will have over twelve hundred receiving yards and eleven touchdowns. We need to bet something on that because that's that's Let's just not going to happen. I don't even care where he lands. I mean, I don't even know what we're going to bet. Please, if it we'll, goes we'll to Baltimore, to I retract my statement. It's just not going to It's not. I will happen. sing the that's Michigan good. fight song live yes. for both of you. If yes, Kyle there we go. get 1,200 plus rushing yards. My God, let's not do rushing yards. Receiving yards and at least we'll go 10 touchdowns. We'll call it even. 1,200 receiving yards and 10 touchdowns at least. And I'll do a show wearing an Ohio State jersey, which would Let's be. Let's go. I'll send you my. I'll gross. send you a Justin Fields. That's Fields just jersey. not. That's just not. That's just not. It's just not going to happen. I mean, it's hey, just I'm going to throw up live on the show if I have to sing the Michigan fight song. So I'll be right there. With it's you. Hail, hail to the victors! All right. Well, they Austin. don't do a lot of. They don't get a lot of victories, so <laughs> it makes sense why I don't know the name of that song. Go, uh, Austin Kyle Pitts, the best pass catcher in the 2021 NFL class. Yeah, I don't really have a strong opinion on him either way. I think um, even in like my tight end premium, I do have one tight end premium league that's like a two, like two points per reception. And I would consider bumping him pretty high in those drafts. But anywhere else, like I'm still taking like those top three receivers. I'm probably taking at least one of the running backs, a couple of quarterbacks. I, I like him. I just, like you said, Felix, tight end is just so uh, just scheme and, and landing spot dependent that it's really hard for me to make that statement now. And then, yeah, he goes somewhere where there's a couple of tight ends on the roster or like, they just don't use them very much. Um, the guy that I'm actually more like, I'd rather have Pat Fryermuth at what his value is going to be in a draft than Kyle Pitts, what his is going to be, to be honest. Cause I think Fryermuth is going to just completely mirror what Hawkinson's done the last two years. Like first year, come in, get his feet wet. Second year, uh, blow up. Hawkins is what the tight end three this year, I think in most formats. So it, there, yeah. yeah. So I, th- I think Fryermuth is going to do exactly that. So I'd rather have him. At like- I mean, that's kind of my point is like, how many games has TJ Hawkinson won for you this year? And fan, I mean, like maybe one, maybe the, I mean, the well, Thanksgiving game was like his I'm best looking, game. I mean, that's, I'm not looking for a tight end to win me a week though. I just want like a 12 point four. But that's but when you're taking somebody at five, when you're taking somebody at five in dynasty, okay, draft, you are so absolutely looking for let me, let me make my point. Well, why though? There. Kyle Pitts. I, I agree with you in Fryman. Fryman is the only other guy like Brevin Jordan. I like, um, y'all, yeah, Yaboa. I like them. They're not. I think it's it's clearly Pittson and Fryermuth for me are the clear clear top guys in this class. My whole point is with Pitts, and again, I, I go based on standard drafts, right? Like, or what's not snake? Uh, what's the word I'm looking for here? Linear. Linear drafts. 
If I take Kyle Pitts at five, I'm still getting a damn good wide receiver in the second round at five, where you might not get Pat Fryermuth, so then I might be stuck getting Brevin Jordan. My point with the tight end position is outside of Travis Kelsey, George Kittle when he's healthy, and then maybe Mark Andrews if Lamar Jackson ever figures out how to pass the ball again. Those are the only guys that can win you a week at the tight end position. If Kyle Pitts can do that, you got you have an advantage every single week now. And I'm just talking not even tight end premium. If Kyle Pitts can be that, which I do think he can be, I can think he can be the next Travis Kelsey. The ne- well, I won't say George Kittle because he's not as good a blocker. So the next Travis Kelsey. If he can be that coming into the league, he's a league winner for you right off the bat because he gives you that win at that position right there. You set your lineup every week saying, I don't have to worry about I've got John U. Smith this week. I need to go find a Trey Burton off the waiver wire because John Smith can't do crap, and I got to find a guy who can get me five to six points just to get close to that 12.4 Austin was talking about. Kyle Pitts, I think, gives you easily a 12.4 every single week as long as he's healthy. Travis Kelsey, fifth-round pick. Uh, George Kittle, fourth-round pick. Yes. Darren Waller, what, was like a sixth-round a sixth pick. And These Waller tight was- ends are – I mean, he was a former wide receiver who converted. I mean, we're talking about players who found themselves in fortunate positions. And I just, because Kyle Pitts is going to, listen, I'm a Detroit Lions fan. In the last 10 years, nobody's taken more tight ends in the first round than we have. Brandon Pettigrew, Eric Ebron, TJ Hawkinson. It hasn't mattered. It hasn't mattered. It hasn't mattered for fantasy teams. And so as good as Kyle Pitts is, he would be better if he was flying under the radar and he could land in New Orleans or take if he could take Travis Kelsey's position in Kansas City. But he's going to get he's going to get he's going to go in the top 10. He's going to be like the 10th player taken. I don't think he will though. I don't think he'll go top 10. Not right. with the offensive well, we'll linemen and wide receivers. He's not going to go I, top 10. I, I, let me tell you let me just say this. I don't believe that I'm going to be wearing an Ohio State jersey next year. There's just no there's just no chance you'll be singing the fights on. I do want to correct one thing before we moved on. I called him Isaiah Spiller a two down back. He did have 29 receptions as a freshman. He only has 8 this year. Um so but at 6'1" 225 pounds, you know, with a with a 29 catch uh 29 reception season under his belt he could be a bell cow it could be used on on third down third downs i'm gonna have to look at his film uh, a little bit closer all right let's well, switch on, so, so. that doesn't help <laughs> let's uh let's turn the table let's talk some let's let's talk more about ohio stuff for a second here um and for some nfl questions uh uh bruning are the browns for real fair or foul the browns are for real they're for real. Yes, fair. I, they have got a defense that is... Of course. Well, let, let me make my point. You can disagree with me if you want, but a lot of people shit on that defense, and it hasn't been great, but against the rush, they're in the number nine team against the run right now. 18 against the pass. So they're below average against the pass. That's still better than a lot of other teams are doing right now. Once they get Denzel Ward back, they get Miles Garrett back this week. They have the best running back duo in the game, and they don't move away from the run, which I think also goes to how great of a coach Kevin Stefanski has been. It hurts not having Odell, if I'm being honest. I think we've really seen the past couple weeks how much not having a player like Odell Beckham on the field hurts that offense. They, They can't get that creative with a guy like Jarvis Landry. He just doesn't have the explosiveness that Beckham has. Baker is... As surprisingly, people may not believe it with the wide open pass he missed this past weekend, but it's gotten better and better every single week. If he can eliminate, he's not thrown an interception since week five. Like 
He's been better than people realize. They, they just don't ask him to throw the ball that much, but they don't need to because they have an offensive line who beats you up. They have a running back in Nick Chubb who will give you those five, six-yard six yard runs through the first two quarters, and then when the third quarter comes, he's running guys over because they just can't handle it anymore. He, he keeps running them down. Then you can bring in a guy like Kareem Hunt who changes the pace on you. Now, do I think they're a Super Bowl team? No, I do not. I will not go that far, but – you don't get to eight and three by accident because uh, we saw them play crappy teams last year and they finished the league six and 10 or some shit like that because Freddie Kitchens was an idiot. This team is for real. They've got a lot of good players. I actually think they will beat either Pittsburgh or Baltimore. I don't think they beat both in the next couple of weeks, but I do think they get at least one of those and they're going to be a playoff team. And I think they're going to likely win their first playoff matchup. So I actually included this question because I had a revelation today. I realized that if you're in your 30s in the Debbie community, you're actually old. And so a lot of people may have not may not have seen I want to talk about Baker Mayfield. A lot of people may not have seen the beginning of Ben Roethlisberger's career and how he was used in Pittsburgh. They ran the ball with Jerome Bettis, they ran the ball with Willie Parker and they had a good defense. And that first Super Bowl that they won in Detroit, um yeah. Ben Roethlisberger was not throwing the ball all over the place. It, he they they were throwing the ball, you know, maybe twenty times a game. Very conservative game plan, and just try not to lose it. And that's what's happening with Baker Mayfield. You got Kareem Hunt and uh, Nick Chubb that are gonna they're gonna go both go over a thousand yards this season. And and as the Browns are winning and they're playing well, Baker Mayfield is continuing to get reps. People forget, but Baker Mayfield was a very a damn good. Uh, NFL quarterback prospect. That's why he was taken number one because of his accuracy. And and that is still there. He's getting these reps. He's he is uh they're not relying on him to win games, but he's going to continue to get better because we've seen it with Josh Allen. We've seen it um with we I mean we've seen a transformation from Justin Herbert recently, but these players can get better. And so I wanted to bring up this question because I think Baker Mayfield is a buy in dynasty because one because he's cheap and two because he is having a Ben Roethlisberger type career arc. People don't remember that was 2004, I believe, is was that class with Roethlisberger, yeah. Manning, and uh, and Rivers, and that is exactly that is exactly how Ben Roethlisberger was used when he was taken or when he took over the job for Tommy Maddox in Pittsburgh. So, I mean, Austin, you can, you're, you're a Steelers fan. You can vouch for that, right? That's how he was used. Yeah. Fun fact about that, that Super Bowl XL that, that he played in first uh, Pittsburgh threw a touchdown pass in that game and it was not Ben that threw it. Heinz Ward. It, it was, Heinz no, Ward. It was Randall L to Heinz Ward. Oh, yeah. Randall. Okay. Yeah. 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 Ben did have a one yard rushing touchdown in that game, but yeah. So yeah, I mean, he did. He was he definitely game manager the first couple of years. So I want to add one more thing on the Baker thing, because I agree with you 100% that he's a buy low, because the other thing I'll add is, while it may not be a big deal to some people, I do think you have to give him a little bit of credit on how he's progressed throughout the season, this being his fourth head coach and third offensive system in three years in the league. On top of that, he did not have any kind of regular offseason or preseason games to learn this offense, which is completely different than any offense he's ever run. And we've seen it again, as I mentioned, and as you mentioned, he's been improving throughout the year. I honestly think I may have been a year ahead of myself in saying that he could be a top 12 quarterback for fantasy this year. I think that will happen next year. I think once he gets this offense under his belt, you get Odell back. That offensive line has been phenomenal. Have Hunt and Chubb. I do think that he could be a top 12 quarterback next year, and he's not going to be rated as that in the offseason. So I agree with you. He's definitely a buy low candidate. 
Uh, last question in fair or foul. Austin, fair or foul, the Jets should fire Adam Gase before the end of the season. So, no, I don't think they should. Um, I know, like, the NBA joke is, like, the tank commander where, like, you bring a coach in and he, like, leads you to the worst record. And obviously the, the grand prize is, is Trevor Lawrence. And there's teams that are close enough to them, like the the um, uh, Jaguars only have one win, right? I don't know what all the tiebreakers and stuff look like, but yeah. there's like teams close enough that if they win a game accidentally, like they, they might lose that on Trevor Lawrence. So I don't think they should fire him where I do start getting a little worried is that he like his press conference this year, this week where he was like blatantly lying about calling the plays <laughs> and like, just th like throwing these people under the bus. Like, I do think at some point your usefulness in being just a shitty team and then like that stuff, like that starts to outweigh your usefulness in that regard. So I, he does need to be careful because if, I mean, you can bring in somebody, I mean, just to promote like the worst assistant coach in the team and have him do it. But so he, I, I do think that, that they should keep him around, but he's treading that line. As long as Adam Gase is losing, he has not exhausted his usefulness because yeah. I need somebody to share the 2008 title of 0-16 with the Detroit Lions and that that uh that Browns team um so no no heck no they should not fire Adam Gase he needs to be able to wear that Owen 16 title around his neck like a leper in the old days the old days it just follows him around um just like Rod Marinelli and Hugh Jackson you coached an Owen 16 team um no I want that I want that to follow him he can't be what are they Owen 11 Oh, and 11. No, no, I don't want him to say that he's an 0 and 11 coach. He's an 0 and 16 coach. So that is uh, a foul. The Jets should not, should not uh, get rid of Adam Gates before the end of the season. Hey, but I've heard people say that Trevor Lawrence might not come out this year. He may stay for his senior year so that he can decide where it is that he wants to go. All right. I think that we are ready to close out the show. We're going to do a little something different. Uh, something a little bit different this week with parting shots. Austin, why don't you start us off? So with everything going on this season, with all the different COVID news we're trying to track um, and just the craziness that has been this college football season, the transfer, well, the announcement by Grant Calcaterra that he was going to come back and play more football. And then the fact that he was transferring to Auburn kind of went under the, the radar and I am excited to see him get back on a football field next year. He was probably considered like the top tight end in his class last year before he de decided to hang it up. Uh, he's going to fit in really well at Auburn because they might lose their top two guys this year in terms of pass catching. I mean, Anthony Schwartz and Seth Williams are both draft eligible, and I'd imagine they both probably leave. He, in this new kind of offensive-centric SEC, I think he's going to put up some good numbers. But that's the good. The bad, I, he retired because, as he, I think as he put it, he had his fair share of concussions. I don't think we ever got a number. But I, I worry about some of these young guys that, you know, are getting guy, people hyping them around them and are possibly ignoring, you know, medical advice. So I do hope for a long and fruitful career for the guy. But no one wants to see an Austin Collie or a late career Wes Welker situation again. So uh, congrats to Grant Calcaterra for transferring, coming back. Prayers up that he can, you know, do this for a while. 
We talked a little bit about Jared Patterson. Jared Patterson finished this weekend's game just 18 yards shy of the NCAA rushing record of 427 yards set by Samaj P. Ryan in 2014. But Coach Lance Leopold, he pulled Patterson from the game with less than two minutes re remaining. He didn't know that Patterson was so close to the record. It's, it's very unfortunate, not just for Patterson, but for his teammates and the entire program. Patterson is not the only player that lost the opportunity to take up that mantle. That mantle, excuse me. Trust me, there is a kid running scout team at Buffalo who in 10 or 15 years would have boasted about having played with Jared Patterson, the single game rushing record hold, holder. Uh, some third string tight ends Twitter bio just lost a little bit of luster identifying as a Buffalo Bull. Coach, for your program, for your players, for your fans, for the legacy, you got to know that your running back is on the cusp of, of a record. All of Twitter knew, all of Twitter knew, and we were waiting for it. We didn't get to see it, and it's just really, really sad um, uh, for Jared Patterson and the Buffalo Bill Buffalo Bulls Nation. Bruning, what do you got? All right. I don't want this to sound insensitive to anybody who has had or is dealing with COVID because I believe that that is a very serious illness, and – uh, I do not take that lightly. I will say that, hey, that team up north, nut up. Stop being a bunch of bitches. I know that you guys are lying about your your supposed COVID outbreak when you've had one player test positive and nobody else in the past two days, and now you're canceling your game this weekend, and the game is now in doubt. Yes, you guys are going to get destroyed, probably 82-3. to three. I think you guys will probably get a field goal. They <laughs> won't put up 100 on you because there's just not going to be enough time on the clock. But the Buckeyes will put up 82 on you. Stop hiding. Just take your punishment. Let us whoop Harbaugh's ass and get him out of there. It'll be better for you as a university to get Harbaugh out of there. So stop hiding behind COVID. Man up. Play the game. I'm not even going to respond to all of that nonsense. Hey, that's our show for tonight. Find our written content at Dynasty Nerds. You can email the show at Debbie Debate. We've got a giveaway. We've got 15 reviews um, so far. At 30 reviews, we're going to give away a signed Kyler Murray, uh, Oklahoma jersey. Get your hands on that, all right, folks? you got to subscribe, rate, and review the show on iTunes, and either email the show or DM your review to us so that we can, when we pick – uh, the winner will know who to contact. Tweet at the show at Debbie Debate. Our apologies to Kirk Herbstreit. We ran out of time. We'll get him rescheduled soon. And for Matt Bruning and Austin Nace, I'm Felix Sharp. Good night and good luck. Intercepted by Eli Apple at the 25, and Apple will go to the ground at the 32, and that's it. Ohio State national champions for the eighth time as they defeat Oregon 42 to 20. Here's Tua stepping back, loads up, looks long, throws, end zone, touchdown, touchdown Alabama, Devontae Smith, touchdown Alabama. And the Crimson Tide has once again ascended to the top of the college football mountain. Their fifth national championship in nine years. Their 17th overall. And for Watson takes a snap, rolls right, looks at the end zone. Hunter up, caught it! Touchdown! 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 With a second left! 
Watson hits Renfro and Clemson grabs a 34-31 lead and is one second away from the second national championship in school history. Hill, just in front of his end zone, has a man out there. It is Ranger, and he's off to the races. Nobody will catch him. Freshman. Made the adjustments in the second quarter. Dobbins again, more than 10 yards per carry. He'll add to that. Goodbye. Touchdown, Ohio State. From 52 yards. 